evening. Yes, it is. It's a lovely evening. Uh, if you came here to hear Ricky tonight, I'm sorry to disappoint you. Ricky's in Texas visiting his family uh, in Hudspeth, just outside of Hudspeth County. Ricky Hudspeth has a county named after him in Texas. Apparently, there are a lot of Hudspeths in Texas, and that's where they were originally from, and uh, that's where his parents moved back to just six months ago or so. And Ricky is visiting them. It was nice to see Scott out this morning. We'll see a lot of him now that he's just two hours away and has every Sunday off, and I think he's going to have most Saturdays off as well. So we'll see a lot of him, except when he's traveling the world with his new job. He's going to uh, Qatar or Qatar uh, this month, end of, end of April. And then he's spending three weeks in Belgium in, I think, August. And then there will be other local and uh, national and international meets that he'll be going to, and of course, the Olympics in Tokyo next year. Rough life. But it's a good thing he's single, because I don't know how that would work if you had a, a, a young wife. Um, when last I spoke, which I believe was the first Sunday of the month, I think it was March uh, 3rd, I shared with you uh, meditations that I had had on the Lord's arrest, his uh, trial, his sentencing, and two important characters in that time period. And the one we looked at uh, a few weeks ago was Pontius Pilate. Pilate uh, is the only, uh, the only pagan, I believe, that is mentioned in the Nicene Creed. In the Nicene Creed, we read of Mary, uh, Mary, born of Mary, but it says, for our sake, crucified at the hands of Pontius Pilate. So his name is put into a Nicene Creed, which I read through again today. And the Nicene Creed is a beautiful creed. In fact, Many churches use it as their statement of faith. The only thing I find objectionable in it is it says, we believe in the one holy Catholic church. But if you, use the, if you, if you translate that to universal church, then even, that, even that's fine. The Nicene Creed is a solid, solid doctrinal statement. But Pontius Pilate is mentioned in the Nicene Creed. Also in Acts chapter 13, um, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 3, verse, verse 13. It's Paul's second, uh, second sermon. It's right after he had told the, uh, they had told the lame man, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the people gathered around in a crush around the apostles, and Peter preached with power there. And in chapter 3, verse 13, he's preaching, The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his Son, Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. So in this petition 
to the people of Israel, there in the very courtyard of the temple. He invokes the name of Pontius Pilate and the murderer who they cried out for. And these two characters in the final hours of the Lord Jesus are a beautiful story to us, beautiful example. We looked at a little bit of a study of Pilate. You know, he's only mentioned in the Gospels in that period and a couple of verses in the New, Test uh, in the New Testament that refer to him. His normal seat of governance was in Caesarea on the coast. Beautiful city, I was, we were blessed to visit it in October. But because of the mad crush of people that came into Jerusalem for the Passover, people from all over the country, he felt it uh, prudent to move himself and a major part of his garrison to Jerusalem just to make sure there would be no revolt and riot. Apparently at that time, there was a group called Zealots that were kind of like uh, the underground of that time. And they strove, they fought, they murdered, they waylaid, they, they, were, they thought of themselves as modern day Robin Hoods. And if they had the opportunity to murder a Roman or someone that worked with the Romans or to take Roman payroll or whatever it was, they would take advantage of that. And there were bounties put out on these men's and women's heads, these zealots. And it's believed that that Barabbas was one of them, if not one of the leaders of them. It says that he was con condemned for the crime of insurrection, a murderer and a robber. So you can imagine him out in the, in the desert areas waylaying uh, transports or, or trying, uh, trying to you know, murder uh, small bands of Romans. He could never go up against the large group of Romans, but, but that's what they would do. And of course, uh, the penalty for insurrection is the same as treason against Rome. And that penalty under Roman law would be, under California law, it'd be a slap on the wrist. But under Roman law, it'd be crucifixion, wouldn't it? So we, we began and we looked at uh, Pontius Pilate, this foreign invader, this pagan. The people thought of him as a dog, as a Gentile. He was a representative of the ultimate earthly authority, while the hypocritical Jews thought that they could look towards the empty temple and more clearly the high priest for their leadership role. You know, that temple, it had the veil before the holiest of holies, didn't it? It had that veil. But what was behind the veil? Nothing. Nothing. The ark had been lost for generations. What happened to the Shekinah glory that when, temp when Solomon dedicated the temple? Remember the story of the cloud that came down upon the temple and the cloud was so great that they couldn't, they couldn't worship because of it. And they had to back away and let that cloud settle and rest upon the temple. And there it abode for generations. But that Shekinah glory was no longer there. The ark wasn't there. They had forsaken God and God had forsaken them. At least the religious elite. This Pontius Pilate was one who was accustomed to being obeyed instantly and to the letter. A man who with, uh, with the uh, pointing of a scepter could 
could say life or death to someone. And the rulers and the scribes brought the Lord Jesus after they, after he had, they had mocked him, after they had smitten him, after they had falsely accused him, after they had paid informants, testified against him. They brought him before Pilate in the early, early morning hours, perhaps even before sunrise. And they had disturbed Pilate from his sleep. And they had caused Pilate to come out onto the porch because they considered themselves too good to, to defile themselves by entering into a Roman place, a Roman place of authority. They called him out early in the morning. They refused to go into him. They caused him to come out to them and in a way insulting him. You would imagine that this would have put Pilate in a very bad mood that he would have done anything in his power to punish these people that had roused him from sleep, called him forth to their presence, beckoned him as if he were their, their servant. And yet you would think that out of this disdain and his, the hatred he had for the religious rulers of this country that cursed and hated Rome, you can imagine, we're Americans, right? we rule a good portion of the world. When we go into one of our territories, we expect that our governors or our representatives there will be honored. But the Jews were quite the opposite. They would not honor Roman authority. They would never uh, submit to it. And so Pilate, against his own will, acts completely out of character. Perhaps never before has he acquiesced to the requests of the Jews. Has he come out and honored their requests? He's deferential to them. He's compromising with them. He tries to mediate with them, which to me seems totally out of his character, out of the character of the ultimate earthly authority. Three times Pilate examines the Lord Jesus, not on the porch, but he draws him into the inner chambers. He draws the Lord Jesus in and he questions him. And three times Pilate comes out and he says, I find no fault in this man. I find no guilt in him of any of the charges laid before him. This man is innocent. And three times they cry for his blood. Ultimately, he succumbs to the will of the subjected people. Do you think God had something to do with this? You know, I think of Pilate and how Moses approached Pilate. I'm sorry, Moses approached Pharaoh. And how God, it said, hardened Pharaoh's heart. And in this instant, the Lord Jesus himself, the God of heaven before Pilate, the God of heaven breaks Pharaoh, uh, Pilate's heart to the point where his own will and his own desires and his own understanding of the situation is put down and subjugated to the will of God. We might say it's subjugated to the will of the people, but in fact, the Lord would never allow Pilate to change his mind. Pilate had an appointment with the Lord Jesus that day. The, the, the Lord Jesus spoke to him and him only that day until later on the cross. Herod could not get a word out of him. The scribes and the Pharisees could not get a word out of him. But he spoke with Pilate, 
And he told Pilate of his kingdom. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my, then would my disciples fight for me. He spoke to him of truth. Pilate says to him, what is truth? He speaks to him of his kingdom. And he says, am I a Jew that this has any meaning to me? The Lord Jesus spoke with this man, Pilate. This man that he had created, this man that he loved. It's hard to see that in the text, but you know that the Lord Jesus loved Pilate. Later that day, Pilate would live through the darkness that was upon the face of the earth. Later that day, Pilate would be shook by the mighty earthquake that opened graves. Pilate got good counsel from his wife. His wife said, I've, had, I've been troubled in dreams, have nothing to do with this innocent man, this righteous man. And yet he ignored the good counsel of his wife. The Lord Jesus offered him truth. And yet the Lord hardened him to the point where he closed his mind and he ultimately bowed his will to the mob. After this is all said and done, he attempts to absolve himself of all guilt by washing his hands and says, I wash my hands of this, see ye to it. And of course the people say, his blood be on us. Don't you worry, Pilate, his blood be on us and on our children. Another interesting thing is that even after the crucifixion, after these great things that had happened, after the report he received from the centurion, can you imagine how he must have felt when the, when the entire world was darkened? Not for the 10 minutes that we get of an eclipse, but for three hours there was a darkness. It makes me think back to, to the uh, plagues of Egypt. And each plague became progressively worse. It touched the land, then it touched the crops, then it, it touched the livestock, then it touched the people, and then it, it touched their flesh, and ultimately the terror of the plague of darkness touched their minds. It says that the people couldn't leave their homes and they trembled in their homes when the plague of darkness came. And here we see the same thing. God has brought judgment to the world and it's gonna be put on his son, but he brings it through the darkness. We think of the darkness, and I've always thought of it as being one that God would not suffer sinful man to look upon his son when his soul was being judged with our sins, when he became sin for us. But I think it goes beyond that, and it is to touch the mind and the heart of every witness there that day and throughout the countryside. Can you imagine the stories that were told for weeks and months and years after this? Were you there? Oh, you were up in Galilee? It was dark there too? And the talk would be along these lines. After the crucifixion, Joseph of Arimathea goes to him boldly and he begs the body of Jesus. This is a Pilate marveled that he was already dead, sent a centurion to report on it. And knowing that he was dead, he released the body to Joseph of Arimathea. I can't imagine that this was a normal occurrence, that he would show such mercy and pity and release the body of a condemned criminal to the hands of, of, a, of a loved one. He further orders the tomb to be guarded. The tomb's guarded so that 
there can't be, uh, the body couldn't be stolen. And he, they, he and the Pharisees were in agreement on this. Don't let his disciples steal the body and claim that he's risen because he said that he would rise again. They couldn't plead ignorance, could they? They knew what the Lord Jesus said. They knew what he meant. They knew what he implied. So he was a witness to these things and he ordered the tomb to be guarded. So one thing about Pilate is, at the end of the day, was Pilate satisfied? No, no, Pilate was not satisfied. He didn't get his way. His will was not followed. He had to compromise, he had to submit to a mob. Was he satisfied? No, he was utterly unsatisfied. Pilate, the self-righteous authority, the hand of Rome. That day he kept his appointment with the Lord. He beheld his creator. He examined him, he spoke with him, he heard the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, ultimately, he chose the mob. Was it because the devil was in him? Was it because his flesh was stronger than his spirit? Was it because the hand of God himself was upon him and guided him in this? But he left that day utterly unsatisfied. That day was finished, unsatisfied, and he had forsaken his Lord and his creator. There was another man in this account, and his name was Barabbas. Early manuscripts say that his name was Jesus Barabbas, or Yeshua Barabbas. Jesus, son of the father. Interesting name. Coincidence? Could be. Barabbas, son of the father. Yeshua is a common name. It's Joshua, it's Jesus, Yeshua. Barabbas is an interesting name. They have unearthed uh, records that show in census there is Barabba or Barabbas. That name is known, so it was not contrived. But Jesus, Barabbas, and as I mentioned before, his crime was insurrection, uh, banditry, murder. You might call him a terrorist. Uh, Ultimately, his crime was treason against Rome. He was in prison. It is uh, in all likelihood that the two thieves on the cross were his companions, his co-conspirators, who had been judged and sentenced alongside him. But Barabbas, it says, was a notorious criminal. And he had been convicted of treason, and the punishment, of course, was crucifixion. I've read stories. uh, There have been movies made about Barabbas. There have been movies made about the life of Christ where there's a small vignette of Barabbas in it. There there was a movie called Barabbas with Anthony Quinn as the star. And there are vignettes that show him in his cell looking through the bars and hearing all that's going on, hearing the cries of the people. And I think in all likelihood it's true. I think in all likelihood Barabbas could hear the commotion. Am I going to be dogmatic on it? Absolutely not. But imagine it. Barabbas and the two other thieves 
mere hours away from being nailed to the tree, mere 12 hours away from dying. They didn't know that. They might have thought they'd be on that tree for two, three, four days. So it was there on the Passover day, the eve of the Passover, on one of Pilate's rare visits from Caesarea to Jerusalem, that the Lamb of God was led to slaughter. It's ironic, isn't it, that Jesus, that the Jews call out, release unto us Barabbas. Release unto us Jesus, the Son of the Father, and crucify Jesus, the Son of God. The name Barabbas is kind of a kind of a, a strange thing for me to comprehend. Well, is, it, is it coincidence? Of course it's not. Nothing is coincidence in this entire story, in the entire life of the Lord Jesus, with his appointments with various people throughout his life. Nothing is coincidental. He had an appointment with Pilate that day. He had an appointment to take the place of Barabbas. Barabbas. They, we don't read the names of the other two thieves. One on his right hand and the other on his left. We don't know their names. We know the name of this one, the son of the father. Jesus had said to the scribes and the Pharisees this very week, he said, you are children of your father, the devil, he called them. So this son of the father, we ask ourselves, who was his father? Not just another man. He was the same father that the Jews, the, the rulers, the scribes, the Pharisees, they shared a common father, and that father was the devil. And so there, at the praetorium, they rejected the true son of the heavenly father, the son of God, and cried out to have released to them the son of their father, the devil. Further, they cry out, his blood be on us and on our children. The Nicene Creed and others are careful not to blame the Jews for the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, one of the great, uh, re, uh, one of the great um, underlying th themes of anti-Semitism is that Jews are Christ killers. And never in the Gospels, never in the New Testament do we ever read that the Jews are responsible for the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are allusions to it, in fact, in Acts 3.13 that I read. It says, you have rejected him and you have chosen a murderer. And yet the scriptures clearly state that the Lord Jesus Christ gave himself, gave up his own life freely. You don't, one of the, the three times that Pilate interviewed him, he says, don't you know that I have the power to crucify you and I have the power to release you? The Lord Jesus said to him, you would have no power were it not given to you from my Father above. The Nicene Creed and others state that the Lord Jesus was delivered unto the hands of Pontius Pilate and that the 
any, any type of excuse we might have to be Jew haters is totally unfounded. The early church was filled with Jews. It was almost exclusively Jews. In fact, it was until Cornelius was the first Gentile convert. And it spread throughout the synagogues of Asia and Europe before it really exploded into the Gentile uh, cities and towns. But the people cried out, his blood be on us and on our children. You and I can say the same thing. The Lord Jesus Christ's blood be on us and on our children, but we say it as an implication, as a prayer. May the blood of the Lord Jesus be on us. May it cover us, may it cover our children. But for them, let his blood be on us, his blood guilt be on us. And so those Christ rejectors, and that's who they were. It wasn't the whole nation. There were hundreds, if not thousands, in Jerusalem that turned to Jesus, the Lord Jesus, almost immediately after Pentecost. But the blood of guilt was on those that were privy to that council, that cried out from the crowd, crucify him. We will not have this man to reign over us. From that porch, the Lord Jesus, who had already been scourged, whose back had been laid open, who had lost a tremendous amount of blood. He had been up all night. He wasn't up half the night. He was up all night. He was in the garden. His disciples got some sleep. He got no sleep. He was on his knees with his face up to the Father, crying unto him, if this, if this cup can pass from me, nevertheless, not my will, but thine. And he prayed that all night. And his disciples heard it. And perhaps they didn't know what it meant. But afterwards, they're reminded that the Lord Jesus, in agony, sweating great drops of blood, had impeached, had, had, had uh, begged his father in their hearing, to have that, pa that cup pass from him. Nevertheless, thy will be done, not mine. And of course, what this was, was to remind the disciples that there was no other way. There was no other way than the road to the cross. Had Jesus walked away free that day, that middle cross would have had a man upon it, wouldn't it? The middle cross wouldn't have said, I and our I, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, it would have said, Jesus bar Abbas, murderer and insurrectionist. And there, like the thief that says, we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, Barabbas would have hung on that cross and received the due reward of his deeds. And the Lord Jesus could have walked away freely that day. But Barabbas, and I have to imagine that for the rest of his life, he thought about the man that took his cross, that took his place. Because what's amazing to me is that Barabbas wasn't saved from the cross and left to languish in prison. 
His sentence was not shortened. His sentence was not uh, changed to, well, you won't be executed, but you'll get life imprisonment. No, did you know that Barabbas walked out of that cell that day a free man? A free man. Utterly pardoned and freed and walked away a murderer, an insurrectionist, and the king of glory took his place on the cross. I don't care how much of a Christ hater you are, how much of an atheist you are, if you see this happen in your life when you are an hour, two hours away from death. You know, I thought about Ben when we were reading his eulogy today. I didn't realize that Ben was this close to death at the age of 13. And it was, and it was that experience that turned him around and caused him to de desire to live a life for the Lord Jesus. Because he was this close to death. Barabbas was this close to a cruel, cruel death. And the Lord, his, his creator, his savior, took his place that day. How, much the, how must this affect the mind of a man? We'll never know until we reach heaven. But was Barabbas, when he was freed from that cell, did he walk out and did he walk the path to the north, up to Golgotha? Did he stay in the background and take a look at this with the shake of his head and the wonder and the marvel of it all? That this man who had no charges worthy of death against him is on that cross. Was he there in the crowd where he heard the Lord Jesus say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Was he there when he cried out, it is finished? He's not recorded. It is not recorded in the scripture or even in the histories that he became a convert, that he became a believer. But we do know this, that the thief on one side of the Lord Jesus who died that day was the first to join him in the glories of heaven. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. Who would you rather be, Barabbas who was set free or the thief that was called to paradise that day? Because the cross that was destined to hold Barabbas, Barabbas was set free and my Savior was put upon it. And by that action, that guilty murdering thief to his side saw in the Lord Jesus the Lord, the God of heaven, a king going into his kingdom. He was the blessed one that day. Barabbas' life was spared, but that thief on the cross, his soul was saved. There's an article that was written, and the, the name of the article was, I am Barabbas. And I think all of us that are believers can easily say the same thing. I am Barabbas. I am a sinner. I've been condemned of my sin. I've been convicted by the Spirit. And I've been introduced to my substitution, to my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I am Barabbas. I have been spared. I have been 
saved from the penalty of my sin, which is death, eternal death, because my Lord Jesus took my place and died in my stead. I am Barabbas. What a savior we have. So in closing, we see that the Lord Jesus, who is the main and central character of all these stories and of this morning, he called unto himself two men, Pilate and Barabbas. We don't know that either one ever turned to the Lord Jesus and believed in him. Both of them were instruments of the Lord Jesus' death. The Lord Jesus is the central character. We should have had that cross. That should have been ours, rightly ours, for I am Barabbas. But the Lord Jesus took our place. So we can be as the thief that was on his side that cried unto him, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I do pray that someday we will see Barabbas. I would pray that we would see Pilate. Are they, are they so much different than we are? Are they more vile than we are? Are they less worthy of the Lord's love? No, they're not. In fact, perhaps it's we that are less worthy of the Lord's love. Yet he offered it to us freely. What a Savior we have. Let's close. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, he's not the star of a story. Father, he is the living God. Come from heaven. Prepared before the foundations of the earth, before the foundations of the world. Who gave himself for us. He came with a purpose. And that was to die. His purpose was to take our place, to shed his blood, to become our substitution, to take our sin upon himself. Oh, Father, if we only had that understanding that we are just moments away from eternity, how it would affect our lives, both for the unbeliever who should turn to the Lord Jesus at this very moment, and for the believer who, knows that, who should know that time is so short, and that our, our Savior desires us to serve him, to love him, to return a portion of that which he has given to us, making a sacrifice of our own lives. Oh, Father, we thank you for the gift of our son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the day we've enjoyed, for the memorial for our brother Ben. We pray that you'll be with his family, give them peace and hope, knowing that they will see their beloved father and husband again. Father, we thank you for his life and we thank you that he lived for the Savior that loved him so that he gave himself for him. Father, accept our thanksgiving and praise tonight in our Savior's blessed name. Amen.